Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Hello, I'm Amy Keene, and this is Behind the Money with the Financial Times. On the show this week, we're looking at the man making a $100 billion bet on tech. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Masa of SoftBank from Japan. In Japan, Masayoshi's son is a household name. SoftBank's Masayoshi's son has built a so-called vision fund to invest in growing technology companies. He's funneling million and billion dollar investments into companies from Uber to WeWork. So what is his vision for the future? How has he convinced other investors to support him? And is there a chance this money could create a tech bubble of its own? Okay, so to set the scene, it's the summer of 2016, and the Brexit vote has just happened. The country is on its its knees. The Brits who work here, and they are shell-shocked, and they are devastated. The markets are shaky. People are wondering what it's going to mean for the country's economy. Global markets across the world have been in a free fall. And all of a sudden, this Japanese investor comes to London and splashes 24 billion pounds, roughly $32 billion, on a chip design company that only a small segment of the London market even really knew was a British tech company. Arash Masoodi is the FT's corporate finance and deals editor. He's talking about SoftBank's acquisition of chip design company Arm Holdings. It happened just after the UK voted to leave the European Union back in 2016. It electrified the UK. Politicians seized on it to show just how open Britain is. Obviously, for another faction of the UK, it's just another sign of the British willing to sell anything that isn't nailed to the country's floor, if you will. But for Son... It represented what he thinks is is the beginning chapter of the next phase of SoftBank, which is that ARM and this chip design technology will be the underpinning not just of a smartphone revolution, but a revolution in connected devices and the Internet of Things. And if he's right, a future, imagine, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30 years where everything around us is talking to each other via digital communications, whether it be industrial goods, consumer products, everything will be connected. He believes that ARM is going to provide the foundation for that. And if he's right, this could be one of the best bets of all time. Arash, what is Masa like? It's kind of cliche, but he's a force of nature. He is a small man, but he is a man with, like, unlimited conviction. He started this company in 1981. He would have been, at the time, 24 when he started the company. He studied in Berkeley in the California area, and he comes from a... It's it's a very interesting dynamic, which people who are your Japanese listeners to Behind the Money may be aware of, but Masa was born in a poor second-generation Korean family in Japan. And in Japan, 
second generation, third generation Koreans, there's a term for them, and it's not a very positive term. And they're sort of an immigrant class that's not really treated in the nicest ways or looked down upon. Here's Masa in a 2014 interview. Japan is a homogeneous you know, race country, one culture with one race. So if you are considered outsider, it's not easy. And so what's interesting is this company starts in 1981 and it is now arguably Japan's most talked about company on the global stage is run by a man who doesn't fit the DNA profile of everybody else at the top of corporate Japan. So he's already an outlier. Couple that with the fact that he's an outlier willing to take unbelievable risks and with self-confidence that is second to none of the business leaders I've ever met in my life. And you have a really interesting character. Let's talk a bit about how he developed that reputation. What was one of Masasan's first big bets? So he lists SoftBank in 1998 with an ambition to sort of buy companies, run them, sell them, flip them, but always a vision towards writing what he thought was the technology cycle. So if it was software in the 1980s, in the 2000s, he took a view that the telecoms market was, was where he needed to go. And in particular in Japan, for instance, that he needed to push broadband and broader connectivity into the Japanese market or else it was going to risk falling behind the U.S. and the rest of the world. And so he feels this unbelievable pressure to buy a Japanese telecom company. But there's two incumbents already there. And so the only option there left is a company called Vodafone Japan, which is the Japanese arm of Vodafone. Now, the problem was he didn't have enough money to buy Vodafone Japan. So what Masayoshi-san does is he goes to bankers at Deutsche Bank and in a character at the time running its debt trading arm named Rajiv Misra and says, help me structure a deal to buy this company. I know it looks impossible, and I know the maths don't look right, but I promise you I can make it work. And one of the tricks he had up his sleeve to make it work was that, and this is a story he loves telling, that he had gone to Steve Jobs, and he said to Steve Jobs, I know what you're doing. And Steve Jobs says, how do you know what I'm doing? And he says, I know you're going to come up with a device that is going to be a telephone and a computer. And Steve Jobs is shocked because Masayoshi-san has predicted that he's going to create the iPhone before it was launched. And Masayoshi-san says to Steve Jobs, who doesn't really make a response to this, I just need you to promise that when you come out with this, I will be the sole distributor of this in Japan. And lo and behold, with the help of Rajiv Misra and Deutsche Bank, he buys Vodafone Japan, and Steve Jobs launches the iPhone. And for the first few years of the iPhone's existence in Japan... SoftBank Japan, as Vodafone Japan was renamed, is the sole distributor of the iPhone. And a business that was a third-place competitor all of a sudden becomes a very, very serious player in the market and a huge generator of cash flow for Masa-san, who pays down the debt and gets it going. And Rajiv Misra, who was his banker to put this deal together, bumps into him at a wedding they're both at in 2014. Misra was working at a hedge fund called Fortress, having left Deutsche Bank and having stopped at UBS for a couple years. And Masayoshi-san agrees to basically lures him to SoftBank to be his structured financier. One of the main problems SoftBank had is a very high level of indebtedness. And yet it has a trigger-happy leader in Masayoshi-san who, when he sees an opportunity, 
doesn't want to be told no. And so what happens at SoftBank in the lead up to the purchase of Arm is that it sells a couple assets and it sells some of its Alibaba stock. And after he bought Arm, he did not want to be in a position again where he thought he would be capital constrained, even though he stretched his company's balance sheets to the absolute limit. You can't stretch it any further. And so what some of his team did was they realized that through their networks, there were pools of capital that wanted to play in the tech space, but didn't want to be seen as dumb money. And so what they did was they arranged introductions to Masa. And that is where you get the beginning of what led to the Vision Fund. Welcome back. SoftBank says it will acquire a stake in Uber. The Japanese firm has invested heavily in ride-hailing apps across the world with noted holdings in Ola, Grab, Uber, and, of course, the Chinese company Didi. WeWork has announced it's received a massive $4.4 billion investment from SoftBank Group and SoftBank Vision Fund. It's a fund run by SoftBank, but it doesn't mean SoftBank is going to own the underlying companies. Arash, can you explain how SoftBank's Vision Fund actually works? Yeah, so the Vision Fund is a $100 billion or attempting to be $100 billion fund to invest in technology. And it is run and managed by SoftBank and Masasun. And its principal backers are Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, who have respectively cut a $45 billion check and a $15 billion check to SoftBank to manage this fund. SoftBank is putting in $28 billion worth of assets, essentially. And then they had a couple billion from Foxconn, the semiconductor company, Apple, and a few others. You can understand why some of these tech companies might want to be a part of the fund, but what is it that the Gulf countries are interested in? How is Masa able to get their financial backing? If you think about this concept about Gulf money wanting to play in tech in a significant way, you need to have a conversation about who is in, who is leading the Gulf. And that's where you get this character, Mohammed bin Salman, who at the time was a deputy crown prince, now the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And then you have in Abu Dhabi, Mubadala, which is a state arm effectively run by Mohammed bin Zayed, a close ally of Mohammed bin Salman. And both of these gentlemen are trying to push their economies forward into like a new era. And that's specifically the case for Saudi Arabia. And so forget trying to take incremental steps of uh, developing Saudi's economy. Mohammed bin Salman is attempting to leapfrog generations and bring tech back to Saudi. And so through Masasan, he saw a person and a vehicle through which he could achieve that. There's something really striking about this, and that that's this idea that you've got heavy hitters throwing billions into the Vision Fund, which is in turn funneling that money into a variety of tech companies. And those companies are, for the most part, still private, and some of them have yet to turn a profit. The fact that they don't have a profit is exactly the point. I mean, this is why the Vision Fund is so disruptive. Explain what you mean by that. For the last few years, let's say the last decade, as technology investing has become a fascination of so much Western capital in particular and now a major part of Chinese tech investing, there was a notion that there were these firms in the West Coast like Andreessen Horowitz or Sequoia or Benchmark Capital, you name it, who had these tiny $1 billion funds, but actually they would find amazingly interesting companies 
and plow $100,000 into them or a million dollars into them or $5 million into them or $10 million into them. And they would take important stakes in these companies and then help them on their journey to grow. And if one or two of these companies became the next Spotify, or if they didn't become Spotify, they became the next you know, software company with a $10 billion stock market listing, that one five ten million dollars $10 million bet turns into a really, really good return for that $1 billion fund. But that model only worked in a world where there wasn't capital that was superseding that interest. And SoftBank has changed that? What Masa-san has figured out is that he can go to those same companies at that same stage in the cycle of their development and offer them $200 million dollars. Offer them $500 million. Offer them a billion dollars. And what he tells them is, I don't care about you not being profitable for however long. What I care about is that you make sure that all your energy is spent on developing your company and you become the world's most successful and scaled up version of that company and that you have no competitors who can challenge you. And once you have achieved that, you will have such scale that when you flip the switch, you should become extremely profitable and I will get my return on investment. The whole vision of the Vision Fund is to back Masa-san's vision. And when you put the money in SoftBank as an investor in its equity or in the Vision Fund, you are basically ceding all decision-making to one man. And one man who professes that he can see decades into the future and knows how technology is going to develop and therefore, he can place the bets that will make returns. Yeah, this is a man who turned a $20 million stake in Alibaba into about $145 billion. This is a man who has a risk tolerance that not many people in the world would be familiar with and whose conviction when he goes for something is such that he's willing to look past the loss-making nature of these companies or the fact that you know they're just fledgling unproven ideas. And if he thinks that what he sees in his quote-unquote future, or as he calls his Yoda-like instincts, inform his decision-making such that he's like, let's do this, he does it. He doesn't ask questions. And in fact, in the Vision Fund, there are stories, there's countless stories from people we've spoken to and stories other people have told that he actually gets offended if he offers you more than money than you ask for and that you don't take it because it suggests to him you don't have a vision for where your company is going. So if, he, if you say I want 100 and he says I'm giving you 300 and you can't figure out what you're going to do with the other 200, he may take that as a sign that you're not the right bet for him. It sounds like he's looking for executives almost, I guess, as audacious as himself. Arash, what happens if some of these bets don't pan out? Say we work doesn't so dramatically change the way that you and I work or generations to come. And because of its sort of real estate exposure gets caught up in the next downturn. What happens? Well, uh, if the bets don't pan out, first of all, the Vision Fund is only in basically in year two of existence. It's a 12-year fund and it has an option for another two years of ad adding on to it. So this is a very early moment in this story. If the bets don't pan out, it's obviously going to be super embarrassing. It'll be an experiment that went wrong. So you are rolling the dice with the ultimate tech gambler if you are an investor into Mr. Son's company or into the Vision Fund. 
Now, if you're Saudi Arabia or Abu Dhabi and you're putting $45 billion or $15 billion, in the case of Abu Dhabi, into the Vision Fund, and you lose all your money, that is a huge, huge blow and a huge embarrassment to your leadership of your country. Because frankly, if you're Saudi Arabia, you have less than $500 billion in reserves left. And that's about 10% of what you put into the Vision Fund. So if you're wrong and, and this and this bet on Masasan goes wrong, you've made a tremendous strategic mistake, which will have implications not just for tech, but for your own politics and your own standing. If I'm Mohammed bin Salman and I just blew 10% of the, my country's reserves, I think I would have a lot of problems beyond just a financial one. And frankly, there is a large portion of the investor community who thinks that SoftBank is fueling its own tech bubble. Forget fueling a tech bubble. They're literally saying there already was a tech bubble and SoftBank is just creating its own one on top of that. And so when this pops, it will be dramatic and severe for everyone affiliated with SoftBank. What do you mean by this idea of creating its own tech bubble? There's a school of thought, which is best practices coming out of the venture capital industry, that the best way to grow young, hungry companies is to, in effect, constantly have them having to earn the money they get to invest in their business. It's better to starve them than to have them be full. Because if they're full, they're not hungry. And if they're not hungry, they're not beating their competitors. And if they're not beating their competitors, they're going to be yesterday's company. And so this is very much the mentality in Silicon Valley and in China about how you grow really, really successful startups. So you could all of a sudden have an unproven idea no revenues, forget being profitable, no revenues, no sales, and you might get a hundreds of millions of dollars check. And that distortion has a lot of people worried. Now, you layer all of that on, which is already kind of terrifying if you're a bear, with the fact that we're at the 10th year of an epic run in the stock market and where valuations are really stretched where central banks have pumped so much money into the economies since the financial crisis to get them to bounce back, that asset prices are already super, super high. And there's so much money in pockets of investors that's desperate to find homes, they're bidding up the values of anything you imagine. And then you throw a $100 billion fund on top of that, and you have this sort of test tube-like situation with a lot of molecules in there, and everyone's just waiting for this thing to blow. And so if the driving force behind SoftBank and the Vision Fund is Masasan and his vision, so to speak, can there really be an effective succession plan when the model is centered on one person? Now, I've asked SoftBank's board about this, and they say, of course, it wouldn't be ideal if something happened to Mr. Sun and he's got no health problems. He's fine. Nothing. There's nothing to worry about that. We will be fine. Should something happen, we have the right people in place to run it. But that this company is a single-handed bet on this man and his vision and his ability to sort of charm people, anyone from Silicon Valley entrepreneurs to Jack Ma of Alibaba to Stephen Schwartzman of Blackstone to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. There is one man who is the, is the thread behind, between all these people, and that's Masa. With so much riding on the vision of one man, it's going to be really interesting to see who lands on the on the right side of this bet. SoftBank is definitely going to be one to watch for many reasons, not least to see how 
It handles its company operations and its debt as global business conditions change. Thanks, Arash. Arash has written an in-depth read on SoftBank's Vision Fund, along with our colleagues in Tokyo. We've linked to it in our show notes. Thanks to everyone who's written in with stories of dealing with student debt, and to those who have written in with general feedback on the show. We might not always get back to everyone right away, but we do read all of your emails. Please keep them coming. You can email us at behindthemoney@ft.com or tweet me at Amy P. Keen. That's A-I-M-E-E. We'll be back next week. Hello. We're rethinking our podcast strategy here at the Financial Times, and we'd love to hear your views. We're asking listeners to rate our podcast and to tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com forward slash podcast feedback to enter our prize draw to win £500 or the equivalent in dollars. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.